Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm here with Dr. Harold Kraft. Um, He's been so kind to join me, and we're recording on New Year's Day. (laughs) Um, So starting the new year off right. Um, Dr. Kraft is the owner and operator of uh, Laser MD Pain Relief, which uh, is an amazing um, organization that I came to, actually, for neuropathy. But you treat uh, with hot laser everything from neuropathy all the way to PTSD, right? That's correct. Awesome. So, Dr. Kraft, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome, Lauren. Thank you. And um, why don't you tell us a bit about hot laser therapy and how it works? Uh, Sure. The basic principle of uh, hot laser is that it's a high-powered class 4 laser, Hmm. and it's non-invasive. It travels uh, through the skin and into the tissue And all the work is done by the tissue. So the laser does not melt anything or zap anything. It causes chemical reactions within each cell. Mm. And the cell gets more energy, uh, uh, something chemical called ATP, which the mitochondria produce. And virtually all of the benefits come from the extra energy. So Mm. if you're talking about pain, the extra energy uh, produces anti-inflammatory chemicals. Mm. If you're talking about neuropathy, the extra energy will produce nerve growth factor and also will help the neural cells to either regrow or just feel better. Mm. And if you're talking about uh, its use in the brain, for instance, PTSD or Alzheimer's, then the extra energy uh, helps uh, the nerves basically become more plastic and sort of grow or develop new uh, circuits within the brain. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so I'm sure that a lot of people who come to you are coming on referrals from a, a general practitioner or um, someone. I mean, I came to you through a physical therapist. Um, how do you balance? Do you ever find that you come across people who come in and you know might be talking about having pain, but maybe there's a hypochondria issue? Uh, so about well, about half my practice is uh, sort of self referral. Okay. Half are referrals um, from people, either other healthcare practitioners or even other pain management doctors, who have uh, not been able to get the person well. Mm. Uh, 
a very small percentage of my clients have hypochondria. Sure. Uh, I'd say uh, it, more common is something called catastrophization, where they everything is a disaster. You can meet <laughs> these people in real life all the time. Yep. And uh, most of my patients have real problems mm-hmm. and uh, real pain or real something else. It's great because I, I find that um, of all the practitioners I'm speaking to, um, I, I always ask about hypochondria because so many of us with invisible conditions aren't necessarily believed by various practitioners who we turn to for help. Um, and it's always very comforting to hear from all of you guys that the the occurrence of hypochondria is actually very low, that you really do believe the patients. So that's really great to hear. Um, so what illnesses are you most commonly treating in your practice? I know we talked a little bit about pain management and PTSD, but Give us the the run of everything. Yes, sure. So there there are really three buckets of people. There are uh, patients with pain. Mm. The most common pains are uh, low back pain, neck pain, uh, things like sciatic, disc problems. The most in the second bucket, which are neuropathy. Mm. Um, actually, the most common are uh, in my practice are type of is a type of neuropathy called uh, idiopathic or hereditary neuropathy. Idiopathic is a medical term, which simply means we don't know what causes it. <laughs> it's um, one of my favorite terms. <laughs> and, uh, the th- and the third bucket uh, are sort of a very unique bucket, which are the patients who have either PTSD or mm. TBI, traumatic brain injury. Mm. Wow. So um, in terms of the neuropathies that you're treating, is it stuff where, I mean, for instance, I'm thinking of my case in particular, right? You know, I have a bulging disc. I went to my physical therapist. I was having a weird spasm and pain in my leg, but it wasn't related to the disc. So that's considered something that's like an idiopathic neuropathy, correct? Uh, that's, actually, that's actually, although it may have been idiopathic to you, it was just a, uh, in, in your particular case, it was sort of an unexplained neuropathy. Right. But I think if they had done enough digging, they would have found the explanation. Oh, interesting. Um, it was probably a peripheral nerve. And that's mm-hmm. what we lasered. Right. And you actually had an exceptionally fantastic response to the laser. <laughs> uh, uh, most other neuropathies are very difficult to treat. The, the most common hereditary neuropathy, and this is a perfect case of an invisible illness, mm-hmm. I'd say that 99% of my patients with peripheral neuropathy, no one ever knows that they are in tremendous pain or discomfort. It, uh-huh. It's somewhat like diabetic neuropathy. Okay. It usually starts in either the hands or the feet mm-hmm. and progresses upwards. And some of these people are otherwise healthy. Many of them still go to work, uh, talk about things like um, uh, simple activities. Grabbing a piece of paper is uh, very, very painful. Oh, people wow. use terms like uh, walking, feels like they're walking on crushed glass. Mm-hmm. I have other patients... Uh, Often, unfortunately, psychotherapists have a seem to have a predilection for some of these. But one of them, who's active in practicing and seeing patients, talks about a type of neuropathy where she described it as feeling like someone had twenty scalpels twisting in her arm. Oh, how terrible! So now, these these various pain issues. I remember when I came to you for treatment. Um, you explained to me a sort of genetic predisposition toward response to the laser. Is that true in all cases dealing with pain and with traumatic brain injury cases? Can you talk to us a bit about that? 
Uh, sure. That's one of my favorite topics. Oh, uh, so I've, I've actually done the most laser or hot laser in the country and uh, mm. done about 15,000 treatments. Mm. And my practice is completely unique because I no longer do injections and I also prescribe zero medications of any kind. That's amazing. So in my practice, thank you, mm. in my practice... If someone gets better, then it's from the laser. Yeah. And if they don't get better, then it was a laser failure. I don't have a second option. Mm. Uh, sort of, that's the way I've designed my practice. Um, and as a result of that, I've been keeping uh, very careful statistics. Mm. And very early on in my practice, I noticed that for my pain patients, that uh, they spread out basically 20% of the patients were high, very high responders. And mm. there's a subset of them, the top 5%. And actually, I would put you in this category. Oh, I'm in the were, top 5%. Were, <laughs> were amazing responders. They seem to get just a handful of treatments, sometimes as few as one. Yeah. And have phenomenal pain relief that I couldn't explain otherwise. Gosh, it's amazing. And, uh, and those patients, obviously, pain relief is very challenging. Um, and my... Results are much better than average, and so many patients who get better refer their friends and family. Sure. And I noticed that when somebody who is a top, say, top 20% patient referred their family member, that their family member was almost always a, an also a very high responder, also in the top 20%. And this was a real standout, sort of a, um, a giant flag. If I had a top 5% responder, their family member would also be a top 5% responder. So interesting. And it's unlikely that you'd ever randomly see that. Uh, but it only applied to uh, maternal relatives. So okay. people who had a mother's gene. And that physio physiologically makes sense because the action of the laser is actually in the mitochondria. That's the part of the cell that produces more energy. Hmm. Mitochondrial DNA comes only from the mother. Oh, was, wow. The rest of our DNA comes from both parents. So it made sense that the, mito, the mother's DNA mm. would control whether or not you can convert that laser into extra energy. Mm. And if you did, you, you produce all this extra energy, you produce all kinds of anti-inflammatories, you'd be a super high responder. Wow. So with my pain, with, with my three buckets, with my pain patient bucket, it's absolutely uh, the case that there's a un... un undiscovered except here, mm. genetic link on the mother's side. Wow. With my neuropathy patients, I've not uh, yet discovered that or seen that replicated. And, and part of that is just that it could be there, but neuropathy is a, usually a much harder condition. Mm. If you have family members with neuropathy, we can try it out. Yes, exactly. On the, only on the mother's side. <laughs> yep. And, actually, after you treated me, yeah. I called my mom and said, guess what? If you ever have any neuropathy. <laughs> and, and then my uh, the third bucket, which is the PTSD, mm. TBI, traumatic brain injury bucket, is also very unique. Out of the uh, 12 patients that I've treated, uh, 10 of those 12 actually responded, which is, makes me think that it's a completely different set of um, physiologic processes. And a group in Denver also published 10 patients who were treated for, for the same condition. Mm. And all 10 of theirs got uh, some kind of PTSD, TBI relief wow. um, of varying degrees. So if you put lump all those numbers together, 20 out of 22 uh, responded. So there may be a genetic predisposition, but mm. again, I haven't done enough treatments to discover that yet. But the bottom line is also that you're really helping people who have probably tried everything. 
yes. Well, on the pain front, about half my patients are in the uh, failed everything bucket, and mm. those people are are um, even more grateful than average uh, to have found something that helps. Yeah, I mean, and I'll I'll share from my personal experience as well. I came to you after having been first referred to a pain specialist um, who wanted to prescribe me opioids. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to be one of those statistics, you know, um, and came to you and was so lucky with my results. Um, how often are you dealing with people who have become part of the opioid crisis um, and, and who are seeking an alternative therapy or, um, you know, are perhaps even a little bit uh, doubtful about whether the laser will help them if drugs have? Well, that's a combination question. Combination but, uh, question. On the, uh, the, on the opiates, I'd estimate 20 to 30% of my patients are on some kind of opioid. Um, and it's, it's decreasing over the years, at least in Los Angeles. Mm. Most of the legitimate physician population is very aware of the A of the crisis. But more importantly, they're aware that opioids are simply a Band-Aid. Right. They don't really fix the real problem. Mm. And so uh, in, in Los Angeles, for instance, if I have a patient who I believe actually needs opioids, and for instance, some now the laser doesn't work in everybody, right? Um, it's increasingly difficult to find a pain management specialist to refer them to because opioids are so hard to get prescribed. Yeah, and that's a crisis in itself for people who have real pain yes, problems. That, that's a second. That's a separate crisis. Yeah. The, the pendulum has swung too far. So many People, it, it varies because many people are, are just looking for any kind of pain relief, yeah. any port in a storm. And so they're very open minded. Some mm. of them are scientific. They have a whole white paper that explains how the laser works. Mm. And once I explain the science, they're very open and even um, welcome to trying it. Yeah. Uh, there is a small segment of people who are, um, who are extremely skeptical. Mm. This, this tends to actually run a, it might be uh, five to ten percent of my uh, of the people who walk into the office they most of those people never get treatment okay um, and it, it's interesting because it runs across uh, uh, socioeconomic mm. uh, and educational strata I find that some people who are um, uh, uh, of the Lower socioeconomic education strata mm. have are more skeptical. Perhaps they've been mistreated by um, white doctors like me. Sure, uh, yeah. but I've also had people who are highly educated psychologists yeah. uh, come in and just refuse to uh, believe that something um, seemingly so simple and non-invasive could help them. So, how did you end up working with hot lasers? Can you tell us a bit about your background and what brought you to them? Uh, sure. The the key, the key item is the dog Harley. So I was uh, actually in California. I have a dual career in software. Mm. And I came to California because of the sale of my one of my software companies. And uh, my wife, who's still on the East Coast, uh, told me that uh, her dog Harley, who's a pug, mm. had stopped walking. Okay. And uh, she loved Harley very much, perhaps more than any other... Uh, mm creature alive including her family members <laughs> what's wrong and, with that <laughs> and uh, she tried everything uh doggy acupuncture doggy mm. chiropractor doggy physical therapy doggy supplements mm. 
and nothing was making Harley walk. And finally, the vet said, why don't we laser Harley? Mm. And the, after a few treatments of laser, Harley began walking again. I, I saw this with my own eyes. Wow. And and I even though I saw Harley going from a baby carriage being carried around to uh, walking again, yeah. not running, but walking, I was very impressed. But I'm a cat person, not a dog person. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, it's just the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a former patient of mine came to visit my wife. She's actually my wife's friend. Mm. And her back went out. I had been treating her in the past when I was doing injections mm. as an anesthesiologist um, and never really got her back like so many people. Her, she did not get substantial relief from, my, from anything. Mm. Her back went out when she was visiting. And my wife said, why don't we have the vet laser you? And yeah. the vet lasered her and she got more substantial pain relief than I had ever been able to get. Yes, of course. And so I felt if the laser had helped her, there might be some potential. Mm. At that point, I started researching the laser. There were very few controlled trials, but the science, the basic biology um, uh, published papers were very strong. Mm. Um, and it made sense. And the pain treatments were uh, were far and few between that actually worked. Okay. So I decided um, to sort of go out on a limb. Mm. And uh, actually bought a laser um, wow. and opened – I sublet a very small office so that my uh, potential downside was very low. Sure. But I felt as though I couldn't tr uh, hang a shingle unless I knew it worked. And I still sure. was not convinced that this device was going to work. Fortunately, at that very moment – I had uh, hip pain. I had hip bursitis myself that was increasing. Well, you say, you say fortunate. <laughs> yes, it was very fortunate that I had substantial pain. It was so yeah. substantial that I was going to go see a doctor myself. Mm. And for one physician to see another physician is a very high bar. Right. And uh, so I started lasering myself, and in fact, nothing happened. Oh. And so my immediate response was that I had just blown $50,000 oh, and, no. <laughs> and that I knew this thing was a scam. Oh, wow. But then I realized uh, that they kept on – the manufacturer kept saying there are no side effects. Hmm. So I felt if there are no side effects, why don't I just increase the dose? Okay. And so just empirically, I raised the dose by about five times what they recommended. Hmm. And within a few treatments, my pain started disappearing. Oh, wow. Which I initially attributed to placebo effect. Sure. But after a while, my pain completely disappeared. And I increased my activity, and the, actually the pain's now been gone close to uh, five years. Wow. And at that point, I felt uh, it was um, potential enough that I could treat, start treating friends and family. Mm -hmm. And three out of five of those got better. I didn't realize, uh, as I do now, that that's sort of the rule of the laser at my sure. dose. And then I hung my shingle and started getting people who were desperate for treatment and found a few of those people who were uh, sort of home runs, people like yourself who get yeah. better, just are amazing responders. I think I was only and, two treatments, something like that. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's a, when, if you're a high responder, it's an amazing device. It's incredible. And I love that you were using yourself as a test subject first. It shows your faith in the science of it as well, doesn't it? Uh, well, at first I had no faith. No faith and, first, but then and, you. But I, but I wouldn't. But I wouldn't do anything. I, I mean, I just uh, uh, could not possibly treat patients mm. in, in something that I had any skepticism whatsoever. Sure, I think that's a really fair assessment. Um, so we talked a little bit. We just touched on the PTSD results. Can you expand on? Because we've talked a lot about the pain side of it, but I'd love to know more about what you're seeing with PTSD and traumatic brain injury, and from what I understand, also CRPS, right? 
Uh, yes, CRPS. I'll cover first. That's actually yeah. a slightly different topic. It That's is sort of in the yeah. so CRPS stands for Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I put it in the bucket of uh, both pain and neuropathy. It's really a type of neuropathy, mm-hmm. and there are people who have complex regional pain syndrome and. Uh, you may be aware of this, rate this as the highest, worst pain in the world. I only actually learned that researching based on the information you had sent me about um, your practice. So I they call it suicide syndrome, don't they? It's in a very unpleasant condition yeah. to have. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, no good treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there have been, there's something called a Cochrane review, which um, is often referred to as sort of the gold standard in research. It reviews all kinds of uh, of published papers, mm-hmm. and they rate efficacy. And if you look up the Cochrane review of CRPS, they, their conclusion is there's absolutely no treatment that is that we can say is the standard. Oh, wow. Everybody has their favorite treatment. Um, and when I first read these articles, I my favorite treatment, which is something called stellate ganglion block, I was surprised to learn was not everybody's favorite treatment. Everybody, uh. everybody else has a favorite treatment. And about uh, th- two years ago, two or three years ago, I had a patient who came in with substantial CRPS, a very young man around uh, early 30s. He'd had uh, multiple surgeries, and he basically had could not uh, hold a job. He was in constant pain on extremely high-dose uh, narcotics and mm-hmm. other sedatives just to uh, – just to function. Uh, just, just function. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to your point, um, he would uh, he was in a sense invisible. Mm. Um, he didn't use crutches, but he was completely incapacitated. Yeah. Um, and uh, really, on uh, on a lark, he ended up in my office. I told him nobody ever treated CRPS, but we could try. And so I tried a combination of uh, techniques, sort of the. The, the local pain plus the neurop- neuropathic pain. Mm. And by happenstance, he was a member of a family that is an extremely high responders, mm. probably top five or 10%. Wow. I didn't know that at the time. And he had tremendous relief. And after a number of treatments became completely uh, pain-free, Ugh. back to work uh, on zero opiates. So That's sort amazing. of a triple winner. Wow. And yes, and, and I subsequently have lasered both of his parents. He was, oh. he was actually the first patient where I had a suspicion that family genetics was involved. Wow. His mother was also an extremely high responder and his father was a zero responder. Oh, interesting. So it really so, goes to show that your theory may indeed be true. <laughs> yes. Well, that was the first hint. Yeah. So, so for CRPS, it can be, uh, but you know, I wouldn't say that it's the gold standard. Sure. For PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury, Mm -hmm. I believe that high-dose laser will, in a few years, become the gold standard for treatment. It is uh, truly amazing. There was a case, uh, a series of 10 case reports published about two, two and a half years ago out of Denver, and a chiropractor and I believe a child psychologist got together and uh, had the chutzpah to laser uh, 10 patients Mm -hmm. with PTSD and or TBI. They published it in a peer-reviewed journal and had amazing results. Mm. Re- really, all 10 of 10 got somewhat better. The wow. results varied from roughly 30 to 60%, for instance, decrease in depression. Wow. Uh, they didn't rate the, they didn't grade the PTSD symptoms, but they did report that all 10 
uh, had their nightmares and sleep disturbance cured, which is the sort of the the main component common of the, component yeah. of PTSD. Mm. And and if, for people who are not familiar with PTSD, this is not just a single nightmare. This is usually three nightmares, five nightmares, sometimes yeah. 20 nightmares a week. And we should probably pause to quickly say for those who are listening and aren't familiar with PTSD, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Y- yes. And, and there it, are lots of people who suffer it for varying reasons. C- correct. So yeah. um, my estimates are the published estimates are a million veterans, mm. wounded warriors have PTSD and 5 million civilians. In just in this country, mm-hmm. and the most common cause of civilian PTSD are female victims or survivors of sexual trauma. Sure. So I thought this this study looked very interesting. Nothing has that kind of response rate for such a horrible condition. Yeah. And so I really wanted to both try it myself and at the same time, uh, because of my engineering background, when I ran their numbers, uh, it looked like the – uh, the doses they were using, and also based on my experience with the highest, I'm using the highest doses in the country for pain and neuropathy, were were probably on the low side. Okay. And they spread the treatment on over eight weeks. And I thought if I had a condition like PTSD, I really wouldn't want to wait eight weeks to no. get better. Yeah. So uh, for the past year, a little more than a year, I've been treating a few people, about 12 people in my office with mm. PTSD and or TBI, and the results have been nothing short of stunning. These results have not been published, but uh, my first patient actually is a, f- a female, not a victim of sexual trauma, um, and she had a 95% reduction in PTSD symptoms, oh in- including uh, sleep and depression, and it's lasted one year, actually more than a year at that exact level. Wow. And as she said, I think I'm actually better off now than I was before the pe- before the traumatic brain injury. That's gorgeous. And out of uh, 10 of the 12 people have been adults. Mm. They all responded, varying from 30 to uh, really 100% uh, reduction in depression. All wow. of them had improvements in sleep disturbance and nightmares, often within three or four treatments. Wow. Now, in terms of the genetic link here that we're we're seeing through the maternal side, is there a way to, or do you think in the future that studies will be developed to measure um, a person's receptivity? Uh, yes. Based so on the genetic? Y- all I need is a research partner yep. uh, who's a geneticist for them to apply for funding. So uh, I now have... Uh, I think about 15 families mm. that I've treated at least two people and in some cases three or four members, mm. uh, all of whom have shown very high responses. And so what we need to do is a, is a fairly simple study. You get a couple dozen people in, which I could easily produce, who sure. I believe are high responders. And you do some genetic testing, and then the, the geneticist looks for. I volunteer which, as tribute if which, you need me. <laughs> which, uh, which which gene there is? Yeah. And uh, and then you see if that you can replicate that in the future. Wow. So it's a, I actually have enough patients now where somebody uh, with with genetics. Uh, genetics experience background, yeah. Could, could I believe, easily do that study. Yeah. So, and in terms of the treatment for PTSD as well, is that something where there's a potential for it in the future to be something that the VA is offering, you know, and that, that so, uh, counselors it, well, are offering I, to people well, as well? Uh, well, our, uh, the reason I really got excited about the PTSD treatment with laser is that um, is that my background is, is in uh, – my software background is sure. in scalable software. Hmm. And I believe that one of the failures of modern medicine 
in PTSD is a perfect example of that, is that people often ask the question, um, what's the best treatment for this? Mm. Well, the real question is, what is the best treatment that we can scale if it's a, if it's a mm. widespread problem? Sure. Um, drug companies ask that question. That's why yeah. drug companies make a lot of money. Yeah. But physicians rarely ask that question. And if you look at the common treatments for PTSD, which are CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm. that is not a scalable treatment. You just can't have trained psychologists uh, and psychiatrists going out into the field and spreading out and taking 20, 40, 60, 100 hours to treat somebody. Sure. Um, the laser could theoretically be scaled down to and be made smart. And I'm actually working on this and looking for investors to help to make it a smart laser Mm. and a safer laser. The lasers today are safe in the hands of of a physician, but not necessarily in the hands of a medic. Sure. And our goal is actually to make a PTSD TBI treatment that one could take into the field. One can take into, um, the outskirts of Bakersfield mm-hmm. and basically have a truck drive around without a physician in it with just a medic wow. and treat people who are uh, dispersed throughout like the country. Clinic. A mobile clinic mm. uh, that you wouldn't need a physician. Wow. So uh, there, there's tremendous potential just needs to be developed. And most of, most of us are also finding I'm, I'm, wondering actually, um, with health insurance that the treatments are covered as well, right? Because mine were, I know. So uh, that's, I, I would say, mo- for the PTSD treatments are definitely off-label. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. And, and, uh, um, and we'll get back to the, your question about the VA. The PTSD yeah. treatments are off-label. They would not be covered by any insurance at this time. Wow, that's rough. Uh, the, the pain neuropathy treatments are... Um, uh, sporadically covered. Okay. At my clinic, they're generally covered. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I was lucky. By then. most insurances, by yeah. some, yes, by uh, some, they were covered by some local HMOs, not right. by many. Um, and part of the reason is um, is just there's just not enough research. Right. In terms of the VA and PTSD, the the veterans uh, administration and the the people who work in healthcare. Uh, generally speaking, they're all great people, mm. but the system is flawed. And yeah. the VA is uh, what I would consider as a laggard organization. Sure. They're not going to be early adopters. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's so much of what this is about, right? I mean, you were an early adopter because you saw the results in your wife's dog. <laughs> yes. You know, um, and I, I guess this is also sort of a, a reading on, on our healthcare system in general, which I do want to ask you about. So I can segue into that now. Um, I, I wonder about how this treatment is accepted generally, because it sounds to me like it's still, it, it's showing, you're showing results and there are studies, but that it's still generally regarded as kind of an experimental treatment. Would that be correct? Yes. It's currently yeah. off-label sort of the, um, we need to come up with a device, which we're working on. Yeah. And then you go through a series of, uh, clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, and so often multiple phase twos and phase threes and publishing those studies in order to gradually convince the scientific community Mm. that it's uh, better than average. Right. The the advantage of the laser in both pain and PTSD is that at the doses that we're using, the differences between existing treatments and high-dose laser Mm. are are not small differences. They're quite large differences. So it's much easier 
to come up with a uh, interesting study and interesting papers than if there are subtle differences. Sure. That's a very fair point. So um, why don't you talk to us a bit about the U.S. healthcare system? This might be a can of worms I'm opening here, but um, how do you see the system, particularly with regard to your practice, working for patients? And in what ways do you see it falling short and requiring improvement? And are there ways in which, aside from doing a mobile clinic um, and and developing, you know, a laser that can be part of a mobile clinic situation, that you would see applications of um, the laser in order to address those shortcomings? Uh, so, so I believe. Um, so, first of all, I think that the U.S. healthcare system is uh, uh, just terribly flawed, mm. um, and that the introduction of um, a third-party payer insurance, health insurance companies, as they're widely known, yes, has um, uh, has ended as a bad experiment yeah. that we're sort of locked into. Mm. Um, and the VA is an example of a, um, if you will, a Medicare for all system. Mm. If you're if you're a veteran, that has ended up with an equally bad result. Sure. And I believe the the problem in both cases stems from. Uh, too much trust in physicians, mm. and physicians. And this is having a physician telling much, us that, too, so that's interesting. And, to hear. and physicians having too much trust in themselves, mm. uh, to um, and not enough emphasis on what what today would um, would be regarded as almost a um, uh, uh, big data. Sure. So if. Um, you know, if we could, if we could sort of roll the clock back and look at a hundred thousand veterans get treatment X, mm. somebody should look at that and go, treatment X is not effective. We're not as effective as we like. We're not getting our money's worth. Let's mm. look at other things. Uh, and the third-party healthcare system insurance companies probably know what does and doesn't work, and yeah. what physicians do and don't improve the status of their patients. But there are a ton of um, of bureaucratic legal issues and and medical issues that the country is not willing to own up to. Yeah. Uh, so the healthcare system is broken. I don't believe that necessarily more money or more insurance is any more than another avenue to fail. Mm. How do Pe we fix it? Do you think? Uh, I believe that really number one, people need to get more. They need to get educated that. Um, Health insurance yeah. is not the same as health care, yeah. and even and health care is not the same as um, health prevention. In most cases, uh, mm. prevention or early treatment is much less costly and ends up with happier patients yeah. than our current situation, which is focused on Treating when uh, someone's treat, already sick. Right? Uh, treating somebody who's already sick, and then you can't get treatment, uh, even in the case of pain. Mm. Um, everybody uh, tends to go towards the high-priced procedures, say epidural injections, mm. when if you had a more effective treatment, in this case laser, yeah. it could treat people at substantially reduced cost. Yeah. For, for instance, in, um, one of the local HMOs sends me a substantial number of their pain patients way before they go to an interventional Which is pain totally doctor. smart. <laughs> and uh, even though the laser is re often requires, not in your case, but often requires 5, 10, 20, 30 treatments, mm. their cost is 
between 30 and 50% less than sending them to an interventional pain specialist. Wow. So it's also a cost-effective treatment. Uh, so it's extremely cost-effective, mm-hmm. and uh, so the laser could could eventually play a role. I believe a very large role in pain treatment. Yeah. Um, and actually, a practice, sort of an integrated approach, which I do not have in my office, but an integrated right. approach of practice plus preve- of laser plus prevention. Yeah. Would would really be. The most, wonderful. the most cost-effective way to go. And yeah. I think in the future, as the country and healthcare providers focus on results mm. and not on um, sort of what's uh, the rule of what we did in the past must be okay because it, it didn't hurt anybody, yeah. I think that the, the power of the laser to treat people both for pain, neuropathy, and PTSD, it will really shine. Now, this is this question is kind of out there, but um, since you're having such success treating PTSD um, and traumatic brain injury, is there any potential to also treat depression as a generalized uh, diagnosis? Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm certainly not a depression expert, but sure. there are, are uh, sort of two types of depression, mm. it, just in very three types, we'll call them. Uh, one is situational depression. Mm. Something bad happens to you and you get depressed. Mm. And uh, for those types of depressions, uh, I'm I'm guessing laser is not the answer. Probably standard talk therapy sure. or even short-term drugs mm-hmm. may be the, the most beneficial way to approach that. Those are situations where with enough um, sort of a little help from your friends, mm-hmm. whether that friend is a person or a pill, mm. may be all that's required. Sure. There's uh, There are various types of chronic depression and major depression mm-hmm. where uh, those people are refractive or, or um, just can't get out of their depression no matter how much therapy they have, mm-hmm. no matter how much talk or basically pills or people they mm-hmm. talk to. And those are cases where absolutely if the laser works in PTSD. Depression is a huge component in PTSD. Mm-hmm. I think it will be equally effective from what we've seen in most types of depression, not all, major depression. But that's the potential is huge. Uh, yes. But I, I think that, um, yes, absolutely, mm. that's the case. And then the third type of depression are, are depression that's associated with other illnesses. So that could be PTSD, Alzheimer's, uh, all kinds of other illnesses, or even depression associated with traumatic brain injury. Mm. And for that, the laser, to the extent it can help the original injury, uh, for sure, it could tremendously help depression. One of the things that those of us in the invisible illness community often come across is that we're shuttled between specialists a lot, right? Like um, someone doesn't have the answer or thinks they have the answer and it's not the answer. How do you address that when patients come to you? Because, I mean, you're so sweet and everyone who assists with you is also so sweet. Do you find that a lot of um, the patients coming to you are really just needing a home base or needing someone to really just make them feel like everything's okay? Uh, they may be, but I don't play that role. I'm mm-hmm. actually, uh, as I tell my patients, I am not Mr. Holistic. Right. And I'd say, if anything, the the deficits in my practice are the, uh, so to speak, the laser focus that I have <laughs> on treatment. Yeah. I believe that the answer to, um, I mean, I honestly believe that uh, some a future laser that I'm creating will be de- will end up in many, many 
primary care practices. I would love to see it in every primary care practice. Yeah. And a lot of the reason that today that people are uh, patients are end up going to multiple specialists with without the answer is that not only don't most specialists have the answer, Mm. they also don't have the treatment. Sure. And so uh, the the laser is such a potent treatment. Mm. Uh, If you think about it, there's sort of uh, I, I liken it to three tiers of treatment. At the baseline, you have treatment, take two aspirin and call me in the morning, which today is take two ibuprofen. Sure. And that's treatment that has such a low cost and a low index of side effects mm. that literally you can get it from a doctor on the street. Sure. And it'd be it's surprising how often that will fix the problem. <laughs> you might end up going to your doctor for that. Mm. They might reassure you, your primary care doc. Um, and then today... If you fail that, mm. then you go on to sort of the maze of specialists who uh, who have their own version of what to do. They spend a tremendous amount of time and money diagnosing you, but without hugely effective treatments. Mm. Uh, but it it would it would be the first pit stop. And if this mm. were in every primary care doctor's office, they could say. Lauren, I'm not sure what's what's ailing you, mm. but we're going to try this laser because the side effects are might, are close to zero. Yeah, there's a forty or fifty percent chance it may help, mm. and you'll never need to go see another doctor. And and the beauty is Amazing. that it's not a band aid. Yeah, we we don't even have to bother testing you, which is a humongous expense. Mm. It is so simple to receive that we don't have to test you. We're just going to try it, and it costs less than a simple blood test in most cases, wow. or an expensive blood test for say for thyroid. Mm. Um, and if it works, that's great. If it doesn't work, we'll proceed with sort of the old fashioned plan. Yeah, that's amazing. So, how do you think? We keep this dialogue open so that people are receptive to the idea of hot laser, not only within the healthcare system, but outside of it as potential patients and how that ties into the invisible community, invisible illness community. Um, how do you think we, we keep awareness, um, about these potential treatment options? Is it just, do we have to keep talking about it and telling everyone? <laughs> well, I think there's a uh, sort of threefold, um, a, th- a three three forked approach. One one fork is that patients themselves, as they become aware of the potential of the hot laser, need to push their healthcare provider more often, their healthcare insurer, mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to pay for this kind of treatment. Right. That happens very rarely today. Yeah. Um. And the second the second fork is that. Uh, there needs to be needs to be more research published, uh, and then the third is just programs like yours. Yeah, <laughs> wow! I hope I'm helping in some way. We've covered so much today, and I'm so excited for people to hear about this because I had no idea about hot laser a year ago, you know, um, and it changed the game for me. So I'm really hoping that people listening in will make the trip to LA and come and see you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I, I like to tie up the episode with um, a top three list. And um, I'm wondering if you have some top three tips that you would offer to a patient who suspects that they may have something invisible um, going on. What would you suggest that they do um, in, in your, in your uh, opinion as, as a practitioner, as a caregiver? 
Yeah, but the first the first tip would be um, don't give up. Mm. And uh, if if you have if you feel like you have a problem, if you feel like you have pain in particular, uh, then you probably do. All as they yeah. say, all pain is in the head, and mm. uh, it you it's must not. you <laughs> must respect that. Yeah. So the the second tip is to definitely um, explore. And uh, sometimes you have to push your primary care doc mm. to get you to see other specialists. And even though I'm not necessarily a fan of, of getting all kinds of tests and specialists on, unless you have access to a hot laser, yeah, uh, that that is the second best option. Mm. Um, and there are medications that and ways to understand uh, and treat problems that mm. are often available and people just don't push enough to get those discovered. Mm. Um, and the, the third tip I would give, uh, which is um, probably the easiest and most direct and which very few patients follow, mm. is to keep a journal. Mm. And whether it's pain or if you're feeling shaky or whatever, if you have a thyroid problem and whether you're feeling hot or cold or any kind of symptom, uh it is, most physicians are data driven. Yes. And the moment that you open up your notebook and There's you've got data. to keep it short and simple, yeah. uh, not pages and pages, but you've got to say, look, on this day, here's my temperature graph. Here's my pain graph. You don't have to graph it, but you have to have in a little table mm-hmm. that's concise. Well, a scale of one and, to 10, for example. Right. And I, I think that helps, would help many patients automatically be treated as non-hypochondriac. Because you're speaking and, the and physician's language. You're speaking like the physician's language. And yeah. frankly, there are hypochondriacs out there. And it makes it easier for the physician to see if you are a hypochondriac. <laughs> so from our perspective, it would be great. <laughs> but but to notice patterns, mm. uh, you know, and um, uh, the simple one in pain management is if every time you sit down, you notice that your pain goes off scale and your leg goes numb, mm. that's a pattern. Yes. If you see that uh, the pain only occurs at night, that's a pattern. Mm. If you see that your temperature only goes up on, we'll say the you know the first Monday, um, the first the first second and third days of every month, mm. maybe it's related to payday and and you drank too much over the weekend. <laughs> Whatever right. the case may be, mm. patterns and data are key, mm. and it's. Um, and you don't have to, in fact, not making it flowery and long, but just keeping a journal uh, helps you focus on what's important and yeah. it will help somebody else see the patterns and may help them believe that it's real. Yeah, that's a really great tip. Is there anything else that you'd like to add um, to tell us about your practice or um, where, where can people find you for uh, a start? Uh, well, we have two offices in Los Angeles, one in Santa Monica mm-hmm. and one in Manhattan Beach. Wonderful. They can always go on the web, lasermdpainrelief.com. And I'll post the link uh, on and, the episode And, and well. uh, just look us up and make an appointment. If you don't have insurance, the consultation is free just to come in and talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're also, for people who are um, not from Los Angeles, uh, if you call the office, we can usually arrange a phone consult to wonderful. determine if it's worth uh, coming out here. Wow, that's really wonderful. So you're really accommodating people's needs, which is 
wonderful to hear from a physician as well. Thank you. Well, Dr. Kraft, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show today. I Thanks, really Lauren. hope that um, people will listen and you'll get some a geneticist <laughs> out of this or yes. some more research funding um, because I really see fantastic potential in, in what you're doing. And I, I commend you for testing yourself and for going for it. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Lauren. Thanks. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.